Welcome to the Captain's Table. Welcome to the Captain's Table, where we explore the stories that have shaped Star Trek in words. My name's Michael, and with me as always is my wonderful co-host, Roz. Hi, Roz. Hi, Michael. What a nice introduction. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> for, the li- for the listeners, we're on Skype, but we're actually d- doing this um, visually, so I'm still getting quite used to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that bad. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Oh, so what are we doing this evening, Michael? Well, we are actually going to be reviewing The Missing. Now, as the listeners know, we recently spoke to the author, Una McCormack, about The Missing. So we thought while we've still got the story in our minds and while we've still got the great interview we had with Una in our minds, we thought we'd crack on and review the book at the same time. Excellent. And what a book it was. Another cracking story from Una. Can't go it, wrong with a bit of Una McCormack. No, you can't. And <laughs> hopefully by now the listeners have heard the interview with Una and they've rushed out and read the book. So hopefully, if you don't want any spoilers, don't listen to this show. But um, once you've read the book, come back and listen to this. And for those who have read it, we'd be interested to know what you you think of our review. Yeah, as always, listeners, we will try and keep the spoilers to the minimum. But if you don't want to know anything about the book before you read it, go away, buy a copy have a read and then come back and see if you agree with our opinions. Exactly. So without further ado, let's jump in. And um, Ros, for the listeners, could you give us the synopsis, please? The entire sector is waiting to see what the newly reopened Bajoran wormhole will mean for the shifting political landscape in the Alpha Quadrant. On Deep Space Nine, Captain Roel Aaron is suddenly drawn into the affairs of the people of the open sky, who have come to the station in search of sanctuary. Despite the opposition of the station's security officer, Jefferson Blackmere, Roel Aaron and Deep Space Nine's new CMO, Dr. Beverly Crusher, offer the people aid. But when Dr. Crusher's highly secure files are accessed without permission, the same files that hold the secrets of the Shaddai, a race whose powerful but half-understood scientific secrets solve the Andorian catastrophe, the people seem the likeliest suspects. As tensions rise on the station, the science vessel Athene Donald arrives as part of its journey of exploration. The brainchild of Dr. Catherine Pulaski, this ship is crewed by different species from the Kittermer Cords and the Typhon Pact. Pulaski's hope is that science will do what diplomacy has not, help the great powers put aside their hostilities and work together. But the Athene Donald is summarily stopped in her voyage by the, by the powerful vessel of a hitherto unknown species. Pulaski begins to wonder, will this first contact bring her crew together or tear them all apart? That's quite a synopsis. <laughs> it is. You do them so well, though. I did, I did really like um, her in a comment that if she'd known that somebody was going to have to be reading them out loud, she might have added in a few more commas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are some quite long sentences there, but, but I powered through it. <laughs> Oh no, you, you did it so well, and I have to say it's really funny. But when you <laughs> when you said Captain Ro Laren, I actually sighed. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Ro Laren. <laughs> oh, you big goody-eyed teenager, lusting after Ro. I know it's true. It's terrible. After all these years, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, 
where do we start, Roz? This is just such a uh, such a good book. Well, there's a lot going on in this book. I mean, even from just from the synopsis, you can tell that there are, there are a lot of different threads being woven together here, um, and the synopsis doesn't even really give you a full idea of exactly all the different things that are going on and all the different people that are involved in all these different things so uh yeah i think we're gonna have quite a lot to talk about this evening yeah no i agree and and i, and I think the main aspect for me is to start that we're back to exploring we're back to exploration which is obviously a big chunk of what star trek has been about you know exploring strange new worlds seeking out new life and and all of that yeah and it's it's nice i mean the all of the books that we've had prior to this um with a lot of political intrigue and there there is a bit of politics in this book but a lot of them were very heavily based in politics and the changing landscape of the alpha quadrant in the the aftermath of the destiny trilogy And, and this it's very much seems like the the first stepping stone into a new era of getting back to the roots of Starfleet and of the Federation, which is to boldly go where no one has gone before. And and in this this book, we get a sort of a, a taster of that, um, even though a lot of it's happening quite close to home. Um, we get a taster of that, and we, we meet some new faces and some new uh, races that we haven't seen before, and we, we learn a little bit more about some that we we already knew. So. No, I, I agree. And, and while the 24th century stories are all going to be still interconnected somehow. I like the fact that we're going to go back to these smaller stories and, and the whole universe is not at stake. And, um, we, as we say, we, we are going to explore, we are going to meet new races. And, and, and I like that. And I think it's, it's a nice direction to be mm-hmm. going in after all these years of political intrigue, which I love by the way, but it's nice to, to see the story, you know, these stories back to where they should be. Um, so yeah, as you say, so much going on in here, and um, I definitely thought that it's this book's a lot about people moving on with their lives, and and events from their past are are holding them back from moving on. I, I don't know if you found yeah, that. no, I, I think that there are multiple examples in all the various different A, B, and C plots in this book where where you could example that you know somebody is. <laughs> taking stock of their life and of where where they currently are and what's gone before and and the direction that they want to to now move in and um, there's a lot of big decisions being made there's a lot of people completely reevaluating what it is that they're doing and and where where they want to be sort of five ten years from now so yeah no i would agree with no i i agree because um i've put down in my notes and and again this is what i really like about the fact that these stories are interconnected that events that happened in cold equations um with beverly crusher and jean-luc are now being discussed like four or five novels down the line and um, Beverly's looking at her mm-hmm. her relationship with Jean Luc, and um, she's making some big decisions with, within this story. And it's just so great that they can go and pluck that plot element that happened in Cold Equations. And, and for the listeners, um, this is where President Baku was almost assassinated, and instead of trying to save the president, Jean Luc actually saved Beverly, and Beverly the Beverly couldn't get over this. She was really upset. And we've actually gone back to that plot thread from Cold Equations. And and I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I think one of the best things about the books in recent years has been the absolute 
absolutely fabulous continuity between them all and the fact that it has it has created a complete universe the way that the shows did when there was crossover and that they were you know they stuck with the canon that had been laid down in the previous shows now that the books are doing the same thing it makes it much more dis, um, much less disjointed than maybe it was when the books were coming out a little bit more here and there and everywhere in the past. Now, it really, every book adds to this universe in your head where you know exactly where every ship is and what every character is doing and how they all fit into the timeline together. And it's just fantastic. It, it's like... It's like having Star Trek back on the TV the way that you would wait for every instalment to find out what was happening with the characters um, because you really felt that you knew them. It's, it's like being back there every time a new book comes out. It's like, oh, what are they going to be doing this time? I can't wait to find out. Um, it, it's, it's great. I would highly recommend for anybody who's truly missing Star Trek. The books are your best way to get new Star Trek. No, I have to agree. And also, just to alleviate anyone's fears about this, um, even though so much is going on and the books are connected, you can certainly, this novel as well, you can pick this up and you can enjoy it for what it is as a, as a, a standalone story, but it still has those connections to the other, other stories. Because recently I read a... a um, novella, which for the moment will not be named because we haven't got time for me to rant... Um, and you really couldn't enjoy it because you hadn't read the previous books. Um, but this one you can, you can pick this up. So again, all credit to Una because you get, you know, you just jump straight into this story and, and it's a turn pager. Page turner. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And every book has enough of an explanation of what's gone before that you understand it. And um, my, my mother, um, since I started doing these podcasts, who is also a big Trekkie, my parents both are, and they raised me on Star Trek. And uh, my mother was telling me the story this afternoon, actually, that she had read a couple of Star Trek books when she, you know, years and years and years ago, after the TV programs had started to kind of dwindle. And she said it was a little thin paperbacky thing, and it, it was really, it was very corny. It was sort of like a Mills and Boone type story that just happened to be set in the Star Trek universe. And she said it was really just unappealing in, in the, on the whole. So when I started doing these podcasts and started talking about the novels, she was really surprised to hear that they sounded like proper stories and very true to the characters and everything so then she jumped in she started reading a few and now she's read almost as many as I have because my mother can read really really quickly but she's jumped all around the, the storylines because because she'd heard us talking about them so much she started off with the big trilogies so like Destiny, Cold Equations but then she realised that there were lots of lead up books and books surrounding it that padded out the story so even though she'd read those first they sh she then jumped back and read a lot of the ones that set up the stories and then she's you know subsequently jumped around a lot of the other um, plot lines that were going on and uh, it has not dulled her enjoyment of the books one bit reading them out of order so certainly um, it's not a requirement that you read them all one after the other but uh, feel free to jump in anywhere really. Oh, that's great. However that was a little bit off topic but um, getting back to this book um, I think that another one of the things that was really um, a, a main sort of theme running through this book was first contact and, and not just first contact but learning more about species that we've maybe encountered in the past but 
they've been very underused and we haven't learned a lot about their culture and, and a lot of that was developed in this book um, as well as, as meeting some new faces, entirely new faces, which is always a treat in Star Trek. No, I agree and, and um, I'm not sure if we're going to mention the logs now or later, Roz, because I know we want to talk about these logs but um, yeah, first contact is spoken about quite a lot in, in this book and, and I enjoyed the, the different aspects, like from the view of the logs, which we'll talk about, um, Pulaski's views on first contact, and so many different perspectives on first contact. So it's really, really interesting, actually. So again, Una's, it's almost like, it's it, <laughs> documentary is not the word I want, I'm thinking of, but it's almost like we're learning along the way while we're, while we're having this great story as well. And, and obviously we've got the prime directive mixed in too which is really interesting yeah it's always nice when it's not just you as the reader that is reacting to these new events but you also then get the reaction and the inner dialogue of the characters who are dealing with these events so you get to you get their perspective on the first contact situation and how they're feeling about it and how it relates to things that have happened in their past and that's done really well in this book i think no i i agree definitely now we've we've mentioned uh dr crusher but there's actually another another doctor in here and she actually wasn't everyone's cup of earl gray was she no she was not she rubbed people the wrong way left right and center i have to say (laughs) (laughs) and and for the listeners if you haven't worked out it's dr pulaski Yes, who plays a big part in this book, as as was mentioned in the blurb, but she's a very pivotal character in this book, which is, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Pulaski in TNG, it, it was nice to revisit her in this book, and actually the way that Una wrote her, I, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably slightly converted, um, I'm not as big a Pulaski hater as I used to be, I think. Yeah, I would think so too, I think again, Una, Una's really struck a chord with the character she she's written the character um i would say a little bit softer than perhaps what we saw on the tv but it but it makes perfect sense and it's almost like the character obviously has aged since the events of of her year aboard the enterprise but um she hasn't really lost anything so i i, I like that I, I thought una got her down to a t and and we mentioned it in the interview with una that opening line where Basically, Una said, "Look, I know, I know, Pulaski was Marmite." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you either you, loved her or you hated her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what I really loved about this is that during the book, we get to examine the reasons why people didn't like her in season two of TNG. Yeah, um, and and mainly this is through Crusher, through Doctor Crusher. But again, it's it's done brilliantly. Yeah, and I was, um, I mean, people will hear it in the interview with Una, um, but I was surprised when Una said that she felt that she, sometimes that she had wondered if she was writing Pulaski too acerbically um, and was making her too gruff and sarcastic and mean. Whereas actually I felt the opposite. I felt that she made her a much more sympathetic character. And maybe that was just because in the book you, you hear what, Pulaski says, which is usually very mean and blunt and a bit rude, but then you also get her inner dialogue, so you can kind of understand her reasoning behind why she's like that, and that made me understand the character much more and be slightly more sympathetic to the fact that she is objectively a bit of a 
word that I can't say on a family podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I've definitely got a new appreciation for the character. Yeah, and her interplay with Beverly Crusher was, as you said, fantastic. Um, and I love the fact that Beverly was just very blunt about the fact that she didn't really like her either. <laughs> I, I think in this case that Beverly was us. Beverly was the fans. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, definitely an avatar for the reader. There were so many uh, characters in this book, and we'd be here for three weeks if we tried to talk about all of them, but um, one of the ones that I found really interesting was uh, Corey, or Corazme, who was the Zinkethi, who was working with Starfleet Intelligence. I just thought that she was a fascinating character, yeah, I did too. And her her relationship with um, Peter Alden from um, Starfleet Intelligence, that was interesting too. Because I thought there was like romantic overtures from Peter, and obviously she didn't see it that way. And or there was like a brother sister relationship. Perhaps I I misread that. But um, yeah, she was a really interesting character, and and you do feel for her throughout the story. Yes, I mean she's been ripped away from her uh, from her culture, from her home, from the life that she knew and she's having to adapt to this new situation and the only ally so to speak that she has is is Peter but she can't even be certain of his intentions towards her or um if if he really does have her best interests at heart so uh, yeah you can have sympathy from for her from that uh, point of view i think that she develops quite a lot through the book and is quite different from the first chapter to the last. I think that by the end of the book, she's definitely discovering a bit of her independence and has found us the strength and um, within herself to adapt and to say, well, I'm just going to have to make the best of my lot and I'm I'm going to sort of break ties and not be used by Starfleet anymore, which was which was really interesting to see and especially how the relationship between her and Peter developed over the course of the book, um, which I'll, I'll not give too much away, but uh, but that was a really interesting one. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, as you say, we could be here for ages discussing all the characters that are in the story, but um, I, I think two more that stood out for me, uh, um, obviously, was Odo, which I know you were really pleased about, and also Garrick. Oh, well... Garrick's just always fun, especially yeah. when Una's writing him. He's just a blast. <laughs> yeah. And and even though we we don't see much of him within the story, I still feel that through most of you, there's that presence still. Garrick's presence is there. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with. Even though he's trying to now live this clean, uh, normal, well, as normal as it can be for Garrick life as the new Castellan, um, and he's trying to put his nefarious ways behind him, he still is a force to be reckoned with, and um, he still gets some absolutely fantastic lines, um, one of which is uh, when he's talking about being the, a politician now, and the fact that he used to be a tailor, and he says, uh, my, my, if there's one thing my uh, previous employment, or my previous occupation taught me, it was the importance of window dressing and I just yeah. thought that was such a fantastic line for a politician <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant yeah Una really really does know the character so well it's it's fantastic and um I know during our interview you you um poked and prodded Una about um the security chief um black is it Blackmere 
Jefferson Blackmere, yeah. Yeah, Jefferson. Uh, you poked or prodded Una about Jefferson Blackmere and you tried to get some clues out of her because he goes on his own little journey in this story and, and, I, and I think you liked that part of the story too. Well, I did. I was intrigued by it because um, I, I, I felt that Una was definitely lining him up for something bigger in the future. I, I have to admit, I've not been a massive fan of him thus far, and I think it's just because I felt that his character's been a bit two-dimensional. There hasn't really been a big plot line surrounding him yet, and he hasn't had much development, so he's still a bit of a generic security chief, um, a little bit um, over-cautious, a little bit paranoid, a little bit gruff. Um, and there really wasn't much more to him, but there was definitely a, a conversation, a bit, a bit of dialogue, and I'll not give too much away about it, but there was a bit of dialogue between him and and Captain Rolaren, uh, and I just, as soon as I read it, I thought, oh, they're lining him up for something, and obviously, you know, I was not at liberty to talk about anything that may or may not be planned or may or may not be happening, but I definitely <laughs> get the distinct feeling that they are lining up a new storyline surrounding him and something's going to happen no i i agree and, and as we're recording this on the 21st of january it's been announced by david r george that as well as his um ds9 novel coming out in july he's actually announced that he's going to have a follow-up one coming out in january 2016 so possibly we might see some of that then well that would be very interesting um because I, I really think that there's so much more that they could do with his character. I mean, in the way that all all security chiefs before him have had their uh, had their moment to have their big plot lines. So I think there's a lot that they could do with him, and a lot more that they could write around him. But something needs to be to shake him up because at the moment he's a very dull addition to the cast. <laughs> That's purely no. my opinion. There might be other people out there that love him, but I I just find him rather dull. I don't think he adds much. I think I just don't like him for the fact that he allowed President Bako to be assassinated <laughs> on the station. <laughs> I'm holding that against him. I'm not entirely sure that he, uh, you know, just stepped aside and let it happen. I yeah. think that the, the plot was fairly well, uh, well executed. Yeah. Poor guy. Oh, I feel a bit never... sorry for him. He's had yeah. nothing but a run of bad luck since that new station opened. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I think already the listeners can tell that we, we've spoken about quite a few characters and it just shows how well Luna has done because there are so many balls she's juggling within this story, so many characters, and, and she manages to keep on, on track. So I think before we speak about anything else, we have to mention the people of the sky and the chain, the, the, the new races that are encountered. I think, again, they're really, really interesting and, and you couldn't have two opposites, could you really? Yeah, no, they're entirely different, and um, and I love the way that the plot wove around both of them. Um, that even though they were a big part of the story, they weren't really the main focus because there were so many different things going on. Um, even though this was such a big momentous first contact, there wasn't it wasn't the whole story, if you know what I mean. Um, but it was woven in very well, and they were such an interesting group because as you said they could not be more opposite you've got the chain who are very stiff by the book unflinching 
militaristic types in their very dark uniforms and their very somber faces. And then the people of the sky who are described as being much more colourful, much more free, peace and love, hippie-esque sort of uh, space travellers, which um, when Uno was describing them in the book, it did kind of put me in mind of the space hippies from the original series with the sort of peace and love, man, (laughs) (laughs) which which just made me laugh. But obviously they they were written slightly less comically than that. (laughs) Um, But they were very interesting. Do you you remember the TNG episode, um, is it Up the Long Ladder, where... Um, again, there's two races that are quite different, and one of them's like got farm animals, and they're like a, almost like an Irish community. Oh God, yes, the um, and they, they was, live in the shuttle bay, and Riker yeah. washes her feet. <laughs> That's right, and uh, what he'd do to get a woman? Oh, but, that man! Uh, <laughs> that man! He's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it really reminded me of those characters, the people of the sky. That is that that episode came in came into my mind, and I know you mentioned space hippies. So um, yeah, they were good, and and I think the listeners, when they read the book, they they're going to be quite interested uh, by these characters, and and I'd like to see more of them at some point, if possible. Yeah, I really feel that both of those um, those races were only just touched upon. It was almost like a teaser for a new species in this book because they weren't the the main thrust of the whole story they were just a part of the story and um, we only got to learn so much about each of them um only enough to sort of forward this plot on so i feel that there there's potential for a whole other book that focuses much more around those two cultures the relationship between them the history um all the rest of it so i i'd be really interested to see them again in another book further down the line yeah, I agreed. I, I would too. So that'd be really good. So, Ros, we're, we're at that sort of part now where we look at the book and we talk about what we liked, but also what we didn't like. So let's get the negative stuff out of the way first. <laughs> and um, were, was there anything that sort of didn't float your boat, so to speak? I think the only thing that I would maybe say is that although I think in a juggled all the different plot lines extremely well it it could be argued that there was too much going on in this book and only I only say that because as I said I think Una managed it very well and overall it's an incredibly good solid read the only reason I would say that maybe there was too much going on is just that it kind of felt like as I said like we kind of got a teaser of a lot of different stories and it, that will probably be what makes it a very good jumping off book, like a jumping off point for future books in a new sort of series of exploration or the rest of it. And if that was the purpose, then that absolutely spot on. But there were so many different things going on and we got a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the other. And I felt for each of them like I wanted more because they were all such interesting stories and interesting character development and plots and everything in their own right that I could have done with a book on each of them to really pad it out and learn more. So, you know, there could have been one book that focused on the Zinkethi plotline where we were learning so much more about their culture and their, um, the different, you know, the caste system and the, the 
people who still live on the planet versus the people, the person who's been exiled and all the rest of it. And there could have been another book that focuses entirely on the um, exploits of the Athene Donald and her crew and how they're trying to um, all work together and mel meld into one cohesive crew, even though they all come from such different political powers. And there could have been one book that dealt with the Odo and Garrick storyline about the Cardassian prisoners and their kid of, you know, it, it, there was just so much crammed into this book and it, it made it very interesting, it made it very fast paced, but it, it also really left me wanting more of all of these different stories because I just felt like there was so much left unsaid. But I mean, you could view that as a good thing, you could view that as a bad thing, as I said, because um, you could view that as it was the jumping off point and therefore it did its job because it makes you now want to go and read more stories about all these different things. Um, but I'm I'm greedy and I wanted it all now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me it was just, it was kind of like a, a, an exquisite sort of torture where I was like, oh my god, these are such good stories, why am I only getting a little bit of each of them? <laughs> so that's uh, that was my tuppence worth on this book. But um, I still think a really good read and very worthwhile um, going out and picking up a copy because there's just so much that you get to um, read about, so many different characters that you get to revisit in this book. So, yeah, great, great, great read. Do you know, I'm, I'm actually looking at my notes now, Ros, and I've actually not written anything down that I've not, where I've put down could have been better or, or <laughs> it's really weird i'm looking now and, and i'm scratching my head saying thinking come on what was it you didn't like about it was there anything you didn't like about it and um that's really odd but um <laughs> you have a pathological I, inability to say anything um negative. negative about these lovely authors that we speak to don't you? <laughs> I, I don't know. perhaps it's um I'm good cop, you're a bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I would hope that all any of the authors who listen to our podcast would would know that I it's only a small opinion and it's very much a lot of the time me playing devil's advocate because they know how much I enjoy their, their books and their writing and, and you know, our, our final conclusions are always, or 99.99999% our joint conclusions are always that they were fantastic books. There's only ever been one that we didn't agree on and one that I can say that I, w I didn't really enjoy very much. But Well, the the listeners have got something to look forward to soon when we do our next novella show. I can promise <laughs> you that, the listeners. I'm sorry, there is going to be such a rant. It is going to be unbelievable. And if you guys don't know which book I'm talking about, you've got something to look forward to. <laughs> oh, that's... That's fine. I, I'll feel it's much more balanced then when I found one that I didn't enjoy and you found one that you didn't enjoy. And then the rest of them, we can just agree that we loved. <laughs> we do, in, indeed. And and I think, I think I'll jump over and, and I'll talk about the logs at the beginning of the books. And yeah. um, because I know we had conversation with Una about this and it, and it, and it was quite interesting what Una said. So for the listeners that haven't listened to the interview yet at the beginning of each chapter, there is a log entry and um, it's by Captain Picard and it's discussing first contact and the, his thoughts around first contact, his thoughts around the prime directive. And we asked Una the purpose of these and it, and it was a intro you know to help with that particular chapter and what was happening in the chapter um but what we didn't realize and what una told us in the interview was that Ro laren 
was actually reading these logs. And we didn't realise that, did we? No, I think that... I find it really interesting when Una said that because I know that a lot of the times, a lot of times writers can set out with one intention and then maybe through the editing process it gets slightly um, lost in translation. And I, I think on this occasion, and you know, through no fault of, of Una's, that that perhaps got lost in translation because I don't think either of us understood from first reading that that was the intention of them, that it was supposed to be raw reading them and sort of gaining insight from Picard's experiences on how to deal with what was currently happening on the station. And I'd be interesting I'd be interested to go back and read the book again and read the logs based on that because I, I'll be honest, I didn't really understand the purpose of the logs when I read the book through first time. And they didn't they didn't detract the book from the book. They didn't make it any less enjoyable but after a while I just I kind of started skimming them because I didn't feel that they added a lot for me. But if I now go back and look at it from the point of view that this is what, where Ro is getting her advice from and, and that she's then integrating that into how she reacts to these situations, I think that that would make a lot more sense to me and I'd maybe then get a lot more out of them. Um, so I'd be interested to go back and give the book another read. Now... I agree with you there because I remember at the end of the podcast when we said goodbye to Una and, and it was a fantastic uh, discussion with Una, by the way, um, I actually said to you, did I miss something? Did I not read that properly? Because um, I was really upset that perhaps I had not got the gist of it and they said, I don't remember reading the part where we knew it was Ro Laren reading these logs and um, I actually remember saying on after we finished recording that it's added something to me now because I know it was Ro Laren and they make even more sense because I enjoyed reading those parts and it was a great as Una said it was a great way of having Jean-Luc in the story mm. without him physically being there so that, that was very clever um, but no like you um the logs could have been removed. It wouldn't have affected the story. But now you know that it was Ro Laren reading them. It, I for me, it enhances it. Yeah, yeah. I think that really you have. I think for them to really make a difference to the story for you, you would have to understand that intention behind them that they were linked to um, Ro. And I, I very much enjoyed what Una said about that it's sort of a continuation of that mentoring relationship that Rowan Picard had in the TNG um, TV series. Um, and so that makes it, you know, even more relevant, even more poignant. But unless you start reading the book with that knowledge, I think that they, they sort of lose their impact and they become just a little, you know, aside at the beginning of each chapter. Um so yeah, as as I said, I think it's a shame that that got lost in translation because um, I think that readers would get a lot more out of it if they understood that. And hopefully now anybody reading this podcast will then be able to go forward, um, or sorry, listening to this podcast or listening to the interview will be able to go forward with that knowledge and hopefully get even more out of the book when they read it. No, I agree. And, and you know, as a big fan of Ro Laren, I, I really enjoyed the way the Una wrote the character and, and wrote Laro L- Laren and I'd, as I mentioned in the interview I'd love to see the two together and, and for Una to write that story mm. story credit Michael Clark Una if you're listening <laughs> but, 
<laughs> yeah, you'd be wanting royalties. <laughs> oh, no, I just want to see those two together and for Una to write it. That would be enough royalties for me. <laughs> oh. Don't... oh. So there's just so much to like about the book, though. Um, we've, we've mentioned that in previous novels that David Mack has this knack um, for the Breen. He writes really well for the Breen, and we've mentioned so much how... Um, Una does with the Cardassians that she writes them perfectly and you couldn't imagine anyone else reaching the same level that Una does with the Cardassians but I think again Una's found um, another calling with the Sinkefi during this story and I would love for her to go away and, and tell us more about the planet about the culture and, and the people yeah I loved learning about more about the Sinkefi in this book and um, I said that to Una when we were speaking to her the other day but I, I've always felt that the Zinkethi have been a really underused um, species in Star Trek because we we heard a bit about them in the in the shows. We've had a few stories that have dealt with them here and there where we've got glimpses into their culture. But there's never, or certainly I've never encountered a book that really focuses on them entirely and and lets us into all the different bits and pieces that happen and and here it was nice to just get another little glimpse of of that culture and just learn a little more it's almost like we we get kind of um eyedropper fed bits yeah. about this in yeah. Kathy you know we, we we find out a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here and a little bit there and this was just another little bit and I did enjoy the fact that we had two different Zinkethi we had um, Corey, but then we also had the Zinkethi who was working on the Athene Donald. And they were very different because um, Corey had been um, exiled, whereas this other um, this other one that worked on the Athene Donald, whose name it's Mertziger or something like that, um, she was actually kind of, had been allowed by her government to go and be part of that project. So she was still very much part of the society and the the government and the politics and everything so it was it, we got those two different perspectives but then we also had the perspective of um peter uh what's his last alden. name alden peter yeah. alden um who had worked um on various different uh, starfleet intelligent operations and had spent time on the Zinkethi homeworld and he again had an entirely different perspective on them um, so it, it was really interesting to see how uh, outsiders um, view the species, the the culture much much differently than those who have been part of it. Um, but uh, I, I'm hoping that we'll find out more about them in the future, and that maybe Corey herself will pop back up in another story. No, that would be great to see. Um, I really enjoyed seeing um, Odo back in this book because I just really like him as a character and I think that the way that the relationship that he had oh sorry um I think that the relationship that he had with um Corey in this was just a really nice little addition um you know it it could have not been in the book and it would still have the, the whole story would still have worked but it was just a nice little addition to see the interaction between them uh, and the they they're both they were both kind of exiles, but in different ways and, and at different stages um, in learning to adapt to their new, their new um, cultures. And 
and in finding themselves as individuals separate from their societies. So I really um I really enjoyed seeing Odo um and uh, having him back on the case as it were <laughs> when he was working uh with Garrick and um and Roe to try and sort out the Cardassian storyline. So um I always enjoyed seeing Odo and I would like to see him back in more books in the future. Hopefully so. So we might see something like that now. So it's over to David R. George, really, to see what he's going to um, introduce. And also, we saw Quark within the story, and, and he's not a main character. He's he's pretty much in the background. And you couldn't tell if he was still with Ro Laren either, unless I've missed something about their relationship. No, I was looking um, for that as well. I was looking for uh, any hints in their, in their interactions as to whether there was still an item or not. And I don't know if I've maybe missed something in a book that's gone before that has indicated that they weren't or that that was over. But um, I don't I don't maybe it just wasn't uh, crucial to this storyline and therefore it wasn't really brought up. But um, but hopefully I'll see that again in the future, because I think that they're an incredibly interesting couple. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree completely. So, Ros. Let's talk about overall impressions of the book then, because there's, as you say, there's so much going on. There are so many characters to think about. Um, what's your what's your overall impressions? Well, the last book that I read of Una's was The Crimson Shadow, and as any listeners who listen to our end of year shows will know, I that I absolutely loved that book. It was fantastic. I think it was. Um, one of Una's absolutely best pieces of work and it was so different because it was like a, a crime thriller political drama story and it was all Cardassians and it was right in, in Una's wheelhouse and it was absolutely every single bit of dialogue was so so slick and it all flowed and it was it was one big cohesive story and this book was so, so different because it was lots of different stories all going on within the one um, book and all these different plot threads that were weaving in and out. It wasn't really centred around Cardassians, even though Garrick makes a little bit of an appearance here and there. It was really more set around the station and the Athene Donald and all these different cultures all coming together and new first contacts. And there was so much going on. So when I first read the book in direct comparison to um, The Crimson Shadow, which I read not that long ago, my first impression was, oh, whoa, this is so so not what I'd expected. But as I kept reading and as I went on and, and got through the book, actually, I thought, it is so different and it, it's not, I can't judge them against each other because they are such different type of novel. Um, so it wouldn't be fair to, to say, one was better than the other or one was, um, you know, slicker than the other or whatever, because they're not really the same thing. Um, so as I started to kind of understand that in my head and got through the story, I actually came to the conclusion that this was a really good solid read and that it is going to be a fantastic jumping off point for so many good stories in the future that are going to spin off from what we have learned here. So, yeah, I think a really good solid read that I would recommend to people. So well done, Una. Another good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. That's uh, there's some great comments there, and um, about the Crimson Shadow. Yeah, it's it's one of the finest 
Star Trek books I've read. It's fantastic. And it's got Picard, it's got Garrick, and it's Cardassians. And no, you're right, Una's fantastic. Now, I have to say, I normally find DS9 stories really slow. And um, I sometimes struggle with them. I always finish them. I always, I think there's only one Star Trek book I've I've never finished. And I just got to a point and I just couldn't read it. And it wasn't a novella, by the way, listeners. Um, this was a book from years ago. And there's only one book I've, I've not read. But I find them quite slow. But I really feel that Una's written the story at a great pace. And the characters are interesting. And the story's really enjoyable. And um, I think for me... Every character within the story were in voice. They felt like who they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that even includes the people of the sky and the chain because they were written so well as new characters that you instantly believed in them. You know, we've seen it in other mm-hmm. books. We've seen it on the TV where you've got the, the alien of the week, so to speak. And they're just like, really? You ex- <laughs> <laughs> you expect us to to like or or understand these characters and and there's none of that with the, with this story you 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 straight away you're you're in the story and 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 you're feeling what these characters are feeling or understanding what these characters are understanding so for me the missing has it all it's it's a look at first contacts it's um, political intrigue because there is still some there there's murder there's mayhem and um and most of all there's there's about getting to know a character that for many of us and and i have to include myself in that that we didn't dislike just because she wasn't beverly crusher (laughs) um so una's written another great star trek story um i have to agree it's not as good as the crimson shadow but really as you quite rightly said we shouldn't compare and hopefully the listeners won't compare because they're two different stories for two different types of story where the fall was part of a series and and we had to get the Cardassians involved because they were a major plot point of the fall and here there's so many stories going on that we're going to see so many more of these threads in other books and what's really nice Ros is the fact that when we start reaping the rewards of these threads it's going to be Una that started them off Mm. yeah no I think that there are good things to come after this book um, and I, I agree with what you said about um, the characters being in voice and that including the people of the sky and the chain because I think that sometimes an author can paint a really great picture of a new species. You, you can see them in your head, you can sort of see their mannerisms and their gestures and their their appearance and you um you get a bit about their their culture and the way that they interact with each other but then when the dialogue comes along you kind of think oh that's totally not how i thought that they would sound or they say something that seems a bit out of character given the way that they've been described whereas here it all married up really nicely the the way that they were described and the way that they spoke and interacted with people totally fitted um and uh I, I really enjoyed what Una said in the interview about the fact that she'd even given each of them a very distinct speaking pattern. So the people of the sky, I think, were all of their dialogue was written in iambic pentameter, whereas all of the cha- the chains dialogue was written in plain verse, um, which 
as she said, must have made an absolutely massive amount of work for her because she had to make everything fit into that rhythmic <laughs> pattern. But it really paid off because it, it gave that complete distinction between them and the fact that they were very, very opposite. And um, But it totally fitted their characters in the way that they had been described. So, yeah, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. No, I, I agree. And, and again, as I say, Una's written a, a great Star Trek story and um, everyone should go and check out The Missing because it really is a good book. Definitely. And we thoroughly recommend it on the captain's table. <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> so, Rods, that's, that's what we think. So now we really want to know what the listeners think. If you'd like to get in touch with the show and we'd love to hear from you, you can find us at visionarytrek.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash visionarytrek and on Twitter at visionarytrek. You can contact me directly via email at roz, R-O-Z, at visionarytrek.com or you can find me on Twitter at Roslyn S, that's R-O-S-L-Y-N-S. And you can find me on Twitter at mclark1701, or if you want to contact me directly, you can email me at mike at visionarytrek.com. So that's it for this show. What What's coming up next, Roz? Well, on our next review show, we are going to be looking at another one of the Voyager stories. So we're, we're rattling our way through this series, and uh, the next one up is Children of the Storm. So listeners, if you would like to be able to completely enjoy that review and uh, not have any spoilers go and pick up a copy of children of the storm now and you can have read it by the time that review comes out (laughs) yeah definitely and if you're really good listeners we might even try and get kirsten buyer back in february which would just be a treat because it's always great to have kirsten on the show so you never know there are always possibilities (laughs) aren't there just (laughs) as spock said there are always possibilities so thank you for listening and don't forget to turn the page for our next adventure you've been listening to the captain's table 